Welcome to The Morning Crew, a grief podcast hosted by three gals in their mid-20s. Here, talking about grief is completely normal and a part of our everyday life. So grab a cup of coffee or a drink. Grief conversations can actually be that casual. So let's talk about it. Welcome, everybody. Um, Thank you for joining us in today's episode. I just want to take a moment before we dive into any conversation and acknowledge all the innocent lives that have been lost and are continuing to pray for peace and safety in the world today. We know that this is a profound form of grief and there are so many layers, but we always want to acknowledge our community of grievers and what this podcast is geared towards. So we just want to want everyone to know um, we're keeping everybody in our thoughts and prayers um, and just continuing to reach out to our friends and families to make sure they're safe. Very well said. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Yes. So we wanted to acknowledge that before we dive in, but we also wanted to acknowledge that we have a bunch of crazy schedules between the three of us um, in the following month or so. So you might hear some episodes where it's just the two of us. Just want to caveat, we might have some paired off episodes and dive into maybe some topics that are maybe a little bit more relatable to the pair too. So that's just... A note for today's conversation. Yes, we miss Mads as always, as we are strongest when we were all together. But exactly, we want to make sure we're continuing the podcast consistently and are working with the crazy life schedules and are excited to kind of get into today's topic. We kind of have a few topics Kath and I are going to cover today. Um, The first being that I was texting with Kathy over the weekend and she was at a wedding and I was looking on Instagram and it looked so fun and her dress looked so pretty and I was asking her how it was. But of course, like we have a very open dialogue and while it was so fun and amazing, because of course it can be both, she did tell me that it brought up a lot from the grief side of things and that no matter how much time has passed and how many weddings or events you go to, it's so sneaky. And even when you think you've somehow like gone through every angle of it, just another another side of it can crop up. But we decided to save any more details than that for the podcast so we could kind of work through it live and share it with you all. So with that, Kath, I want to turn it to you. Um, tell me about this wedding, whose wedding it was, like how the experience was, and then, of course, how grief snuck in. Yeah. um, It was, first of all, beautiful. So beautiful. Everything from start to finish was just planned out so thoughtfully, and it was very classy and elegant, I would say, and just had so much heart in it as well. Um, The vows, I just can't get over how meaningful the vows were and how well written they were. They're some of the most, like, just beautifully written and thoughtful vows. Um, And this was my friend from USC. And so she's my college friend since freshman year. So it was just kind of crazy to kind of think back of like 
her journey with dating and getting there um, and to this point. And I've truly never seen her happier than in this moment and this like era of hers. And it was filled with family and friends. And I've gotten to know her mom a bit, like when she was in college and her stepdad, um, who did an incredible job. He was the officiant and he did a speech. There was not a dry eye in the house during the speech. Like it was so incredible. And she um, has been open about how her stepdad has basically like raised her as a daughter too, because he's been in her life for so long. So that was also like really beautiful to see how a like non-biological parent has really stepped in and um, almost filled the role of that, of that figure for her. Um, and just in such a loving way and how important of a role he had in the wedding as well. So that was really cool to see. Um, and everyone at the wedding was talking about how good of a job that he did. So that was really amazing. Um, and then the grief component, which is interesting, had actually to do with the groom's mom. So I am not like really certain on the timeline, but his mom underwent some sort of um, surgery to remove esophageal cancer um, earlier this year and maybe within the last year. And there were some acknowledgments on Friday and on Saturday talking about, you know, how amazing it is that she's here to witness this today. And it was meant, like she's meant to be here to witness this and how lucky like we are to have her here in this moment. And first, I would like to caveat, she was in the happiest spirits the whole time. Like, I didn't even see her get emotional in a sad way. Like she was just overjoyed, which was so amazing to see as well and almost comforting in a sense. Like it's just so cool to see you have this attitude of positivity around like the whole event as I feel like anyone could have, but it's also easy to be really emotional about it, especially going through such a heavy time like that. Um, and so that was pretty crazy. Um, one being that this is the same cancer that my dad had. And I think that that's always a little bit more triggering than just any sort of cancer story. Um, just specifically because you know what that entails and all the different treatments and maybe like what that looks like specific to that type of cancer. Um, and so the acknowledgement was one thing, but then we were, I think I went up to her and was complimenting her outfit or I was with my friend and we ended up having a conversation with her about her hair. And that went into a whole like of, you know, how she had treatment and she was losing her hair and how she, it was a really like important feature for her and a sensitive like time for her and how it was really important for her to like grow her own hair back. And today she has like a full head of hair and looks amazing. And, and so she went through the story almost of her entire like journey to get to the point was like to get to the hair part. But while she was telling me her story of like her cancer journey, it was like the emotions in me just like almost like a tide, like filling up from my feet, like 
all the way to the bottom. And I was like, I, like, am I going to control it? Am I going to control it? Am I going to control it? And feeling like I was so, like, I felt like it was at my neck by the time that like she stopped the story and I just exploded after, while, after I walked away and was just like a blubbering mess. My friend that was there, I think handled it really well and took me to the bathroom and was like, let's go have a moment and like, you know, kind of get it together um, and come back. And this whole time, I'm telling you, this woman has a smile on her face, like talking about this story. And I think what was so crazy and why I got, I was getting extra emotional is because I was so happy for her and I was so excited. And I wanted to, and I was so equally excited and almost more excited, but the expression of my happiness was still through tears. Of course, I'm sure inside of me, if a therapist were to be analyzing me, was like, there's still tears. And maybe there's some triggering of like, this person survived and is here. And that wasn't the case for your the cards that you were dealt, which is, again, completely fine. I was just so happy that she was here and she was in such happy spirits as well. So it was a lot of mixed emotions. I luckily pulled it together pretty quickly after that. But, and to this day, she has no idea that like what I was feeling or that my dad went through the same thing too, because she was pulled into another conversation very quickly after ours. So she probably has no idea that like this, she had this impact too, which is the crazy part. But yeah, that was the story. Dang. I don't know what I was expecting, but that is at a deeper level than I was expecting because I do agree that when it is the same type of cancer that cuts deeper and you're already feeling a lot of feelings from the wedding, you're already watching like a stepdad, like a strong father figure, like have a big role. And then you hear and see all of this. And like you said, of course, you're so happy that she's happy in here. But if it's also incredibly human that it is just also in your face that it's like, like you said, like she survived and your dad unfortunately did not. Um, how long of a like duration would you say that conversation was when she was kind of weaving you through? And also what did you go up to her because of everything? Because to go up to her when you didn't know her from before and you also weren't sharing, like, I'm just like, was the subconscious in you like, I have to connect with her in some way? Or like, I'm impressed you almost like avoid her. No, I, I, it's a little hazy, but I feel like my friend maybe made it like complimented her on something. And then she was like, oh, I need to tell you the story about this, like about her hair or her outfit or something like that. And so I think it like went into that. Um, she was talking about bangs and how I think her, her son like was against her having bangs, I think. And for her having bangs was such a symbol of like, I'm able to grow my hair out enough that I have bangs. Like I want to rock it type of thing. So it was like that type of attitude and story that started it all. Okay. That makes sense. So you personally didn't like seek her out. You were just along for the ride with your friend. Yeah. Would you have? It just so happened. Um, no, no, I don't think I would have. I don't think that was like the moment that I would seek out something like that. I mean, it's really cool, but I'm also a stranger. I'm also like, of course, I'm a friend of now her daughter-in-law. Um, but 
it just feels like inappropriate unless there was like something else to say about it. Um, which was another thing too, that I was curious and I don't really know the full answer to this of like how the bride and groom felt about the shout outs. Like I know they definitely wanted to acknowledge it, but I'm also curious if it was like too much for them or it was something like maybe they wanted to avoid on such a happy day just on that day, you know, not to avoid the whole conversation about it. But I know that they acknowledged it, of course, and wanted to, but I'm just curious of like, to what extent? Yeah, maybe after like some time goes by, you can like rehash with your friend who got married and kind of like get their feeling on it. But it sounds like because it was in such a happy tone, like you said, she was so positive. It wasn't this like sappy, emotional, like dark moment. My guess is that that played better. Um, But I'm curious with the way you described the like tidal wave that was like building and building and building. Had you felt that specific sensation before in another grief moment, like in that exact way? Like, is that a pattern for you when something's really like building? Yes. Um, And I think it took this moment to have that clarity of like, oh, this is something that I feel inside of me. And I truly can't say that I've felt anything that or have learned about anything that has been able to stop it in those moments. Like the best that I've been able to do is to walk away when I feel like it's almost at the top of my neck, like it's choking me. Like I physically feel it in my body Um, and having to walk away at that moment and then pulling myself together, like going to a bathroom and also acknowledging that it's okay to cry, even though it's not my story and it's not my moment or it's not about me. Like just having a person there to support you in a quick moment is, is good enough. And is something that I think I just realized like is helpful to have. How many times would you say you felt that if you can almost like feel it coming, right? Like when you've had it enough, but I'm just curious, like how often do you feel this way? Too many times to count. And it's usually probably only when somebody is telling me their their story and their their loss or their cancer journey or talking about a loved one with cancer. I think that that's when it starts to build up, um, which is kind of crazy because I went to a summer camp, which I'm wearing the sweatshirt right now, um, where all the kids talked about their stories. And it was like, if I think back to it, this feeling over and over every day at camp and even hearing it and being like, what's the right word? Like just having it in your face for so many times, almost like exposure therapy. You're like, oh, can I eventually handle this better? And I still to this day, like, I just don't. Um, And there just might be some healing still to do there or like, just stuff that's always going to be inside of me. I don't really know. Um, But yeah, I think I feel it every time somebody shares their story that hits too close to home. Yeah, no, I definitely don't want to frame it as something that's bad or you and you saying like you want it to, you want to handle it better. I don't think there's a right or a wrong way. I was more so just curious of like if this something that like intensified as you got older or was stronger when you were younger and you feel it happening less. Like I was just 
kind of curious like when it happens and how it happens, but I don't necessarily think like if that's your body's way of processing, hearing that information, like letting it out, stepping aside, like crying for a second, like that in some ways actually feels like a healthier way than like completely suppressing it and like not addressing it or not acknowledging that hearing those things are hard. But just knowing that like everyone processes everything, you know, differently. And this is just happens to be something that I have not experienced. And yet we've even gone through something similar. So it just shows that like every human is different and everybody like physiologically processes and responds to grief differently too. Yeah. I did a lot of work and continue to do work on listening to my body, whether it's through grief or any other types of emotions that I'm having. And it's such a good um, indicator of what's going on with you when maybe you can't reach or access that mentally. Um, I think listening to your body is such a good uh, like gauge of how you're doing. Even, for example, if you're on a date, your body language or how you're feeling, like, are you tense? Are your shoulders hunched over? Are you relaxed? Are you feeling like nervous butterflies for some reason? Like, are all good indicators of how you feel around this person and probably like good to listen to and take note of. It was something that my therapist and I have worked a ton on because especially as an overthinker myself, there can be too much going on in my head where I'm overanalyzing anything, everything, and I'm not listening to just how I feel. And I can't get to how I feel up here. So I listen to like how it's landing on my body. Also want to note for anyone that has ever thought of it. I have the book and I still have not read it and really want to read the trauma or the body keeps a score of how your body um, carries trauma within it. And I know that I have to read it. It's on my list, but it's, and I think I've said that before on this podcast so many times and I still haven't read it. Um, I also have the book and also haven't fully read it. I think I started it. But like it is a heavy book to read. So you have to be in the right headspace to even be able to read it. But all of that is such a good point in terms of also relating as a big overthinker and being very analytical and just remembering, yeah, even though we haven't read the book, we know the general premise of, you know, all this research that shows that like trauma you experience is held in your body if you don't release it or process it. And just like your body is smarter than you think. And like you'll often feel something actually in your body even before it gets up to your head and like being able to connect to how your body is feeling. I know thinking back to one of the last times we recorded just the two of us and like our health episode and being like having that strong body awareness and trying to be really in tune to what's going on and trying to like address it right away. Um, I think there's so much to unpack there because like on the one hand, like I can become almost like hyper aware of what's going on in my body, which then defeats the purpose and then makes me want to overthink or overanalyze like, oh, my stomach hurts, but like, could it be this? Could it be this? Why is it this? Why is it this? And like, I can catch that in kind of more stable moments, but in terms of like visceral reactions to people, moments and situations, um, whether it is a date, 
or it is like you're hanging out with a group of friends for the first time, or you get that gut feeling that the situation you're in doesn't feel right, or it is your body responding in an emotional like trigger almost of like, this is bringing up a lot for you. It's just the body is very smart and that's very powerful that your therapist was able to work on all of that with you. Cause you know, I don't know, you think about therapy, you think first and foremost of just like thoughts in your brain, but the fact that you've had such focus on your body processing is interesting. Yeah. Have you ever felt like a physical reaction during a sad like moment or trigger that was related to your grief? Like where, and maybe it wasn't as blatant as mine or as powerful as mine, but have you had anything like that? So I am, I think, very good at compartmentalizing and suppressing um, and like almost on the opposite end of the spectrum that I'm sure it's not great. Um, Some of the first therapy appointments I had though, and I maybe have mentioned this on the podcast before, following my mom's loss, like very fresh after my mom's loss was one of my good friends um, had gone through something traumatic and was recommended to this therapist that actually is focused on, I don't know the technical term, but is focused on like your body versus your mind and like where you like the session is about like, where are you feeling that in your body and how does this feel? And she'll say like, sometimes this is like a little much for people or not everyone can lean into that. But this friend very generously gifted me a couple sessions with this woman. And so within like, I'm talking, it might've even been a week after my mom passed away. It was fresh. And this woman who was like so comforting and clearly so good at what she did walked me through, you know, it's a little bit of a blur now exactly how she did it, but like having me explain what happened and then pause and like, where do you feel that? And like processing. And it was, very intense. And I definitely felt like, like that draining, like crying release where I feel like completely drained and exhausted after a session. And now I only did that maybe two or three times. Um, but that was the most intense. And obviously it was prompted by somebody who was helping me like guide me to work through it. Um, otherwise in terms of like, I had obviously like a lot of emotional release kind of as I've also talked about, but maybe not for a while. And like that week leading up to her passing when it was like this slow, gradual, like we knew what was happening, the like saying goodbyes and like the horribleness of that I had, but also that's like not a trigger necessarily. That's just like blatantly horrible. Um, But like following it, I've had, I don't think this is something I've talked about on here, but I, you know, over, you guys talked about it and were very sweet over the summer. I won an Emmy that I was very proud of and excited about. And, you know, the hoopla of like, you know, all these people reaching out and going out to drinks with my coworkers. But when I got home, I had this like emotional release and I like really let it out because it was maybe, you know, it's not like I've had like my wedding yet or like had a kid yet. Like it was maybe something that symbolized like a big milestone for me. And, you know, my mom wasn't there for it. I couldn't talk to her about it. And that was like a very unexpected one where, you know, it's otherwise like a very happy day. And it's not like it was anything directly related to like 
you know, cancer or like a Mother's Day or something again that like felt more obvious, but it was that was maybe one that like really and I just wasn't expecting it, but I guess it was cuz it was like enough of an important thing that I just like felt the loss of her more strongly, but otherwise I have even had the feelings that I maybe have not have not like cried or released maybe enough or as much as I should. I don't know. I try not to like judge myself for that, but I know I do suppress and compartmentalize. Like those are my mechanisms more. And so it definitely takes a lot to get to that like physiological release. I would be so curious if you did one of those sessions today versus like fresh after what would come from that. I was going to ask if you felt like a huge wave wave of relief after that, like after those sessions, you said it was really heavy and intense and exhausting, it sounds like after them. But I'm wondering like if the days after you felt like that, or was it still just too fresh where maybe that wasn't like the right time to do it? Because was it really like it was way too fresh and just coming back up after every session? No, that's a good question. I think there was a part of me that right away was almost too self-aware and knew like, okay, this was something really traumatic. I know that I can do a lot of suppressing. So let me lean into this thing that can at least allow me to like process it right away. And so I do feel like it's kind of hard to remember. I do feel like I would feel exhausted, but a sense of relief. And I have to believe those were productive and like had a positive impact. But I agree with you. I think it would be interesting now, like a couple years out, like what a session would feel like and like where things would come up because obviously it was so like right at the top of the surface and it was good to like kind of work through. Um, It's like thinking like you have a physical like wound on your body and you don't want it to get infected and you need to get the stitches right away. But that doesn't mean there's still like scarring or bruising or something below the surface, even if the outside looks more healed. So for that reason, I actually have once in a while like thought about those sessions and thought about her and thought about, you know, because it was all virtual, like so I can do it from wherever, like reaching out and being like, maybe it's worth having another session and almost like a clearing out the pipes moment of like, see where I've been blocked up and physically, emotionally, whatever, and see how she can help me process. It's an emotional colonoscopy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's my exactly God. what it is. <laughs> Just a flush the insides out of your grief and your emotions. So for my annual emotional colonoscopy, <laughs> I guess maybe I should start doing annual to just really be on top of it. Maybe that's my homework after this is to reach back out to her and just get another appointment on the books and see what that feels like. Like I do feel like it would be too intense to have that style of therapy be your everyday or like consistent therapy. But maybe the colonoscopy approach and it just being like the once a year, once every couple years to just like check in and clear it out and make sure I'm not holding on to stuff in a way that's like toxic or bad. That's so funny, but true. I think that it would be great a great experience if all three of us could do it and kind of like recap on the pod, like how that experience was for us. And if not all of us, at least you can go maybe or one of us can go um, and recap how that experience is. But I do think that 
there may be a difference in terms of like what you were saying, a scar or a bruise is there from a long-term harm, but over a period of time. And I'd be curious to know, like, is my trauma from these past 17 years almost so deeply rooted in there or it's stronger than like what was on the surface the first couple of years and so that's what I'd be curious about is like how intense does it have to be to bring it out of my body now because it's so deeply in there or is it just at the top and I had no idea like I don't know I'd be so curious to understand like how much it takes to get to get um to pull you out of it versus like when you were doing it freshly after your loss, like it probably didn't have to take that much at that time. So I'd be super curious. Yeah, no, I will happily share her contact info too, if you are interested and want to reach out. But yeah, on the one hand, I could think like it for you, like it's so deep in there, like it does, like you've just built so many other life layers over it that it's like harder for it to come out. But on the other hand, most of your memory, like a pie chart of your memory is like has loss in it. So on the other hand, I could see that you have like so much life experience with loss, unfortunately, that I could also see on the other side of the spectrum that it is just been a part of your- A part of, yeah, me a part of yeah. you now and a part of your like formulation and a part of your automatic thinking and a part of everything versus when it's newer- there's still some calibration because I have memories without it that are more closer to the surface. But then I wonder too, yeah, as it gets deeper, it just, and then throw in for you that you were literally a kid and your brain literally wasn't fully developed. Like that has to be playing a role here too. Exactly. I was just going to say that like, like, yeah, my body and my brain literally did learn, like it incorporated grief through my development And so it has definitely like molded to understand it or to like accept it as I was growing, whether that was healthy or not. Um, So yeah, I would be really curious to to know the differences. Sorry for that tangent. I feel like that was just such an interesting like something that came up and like how we feel our feelings in our bodies and and yeah, it was just a reaction that I had in that moment that was so clear to me. And I knew immediately, like, when I got home, I was like, I have to talk about this on the podcast because I'm curious if other people have felt that sort of feeling. And it's to relate it to other things. It's like, I'm also an anxious person. So if I have almost like a confrontation I'm having with somebody or am planning to have with somebody, like, or a serious conversation with like a boss or something like that and raising concerns. It's the same type of like anxious feeling that's like welling up inside of you. This one was just sadness as like and happiness all wrapped in with that anxiousness as well. But that's interesting that you feel a similar sensation outside of the grief world, but just in the anxiety world. Like, yeah, it feels like a cousin to a panic attack, but not as like intense as a panic attack. Right. But I'm curious, like from the moment that you felt it starting to come on to the moment that you were crying when you stepped away, how much literal time is that? Probably like five minutes, maybe less. Yeah. Like, and it's also like the longer the, the conversation goes on, the more intense I feel like the buildup is and the release is going to be. 
So that was another thing too. It was like, I couldn't be rude and be like, I have to leave this conversation while you're in the middle of telling me how you survived cancer. Like, I'm not going to do that. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm going to explode at any minute. Like I need to also leave. I hope it's like, I hope it's also coming to an end for everybody involved so that like I don't explode in front of you and then cause this like scene or anything. So, so yeah, I think like five minutes. I mean, I hate talking about vomit, so we don't have to go into that, but it sounds like that (laughs) feeling of like when you start to feel nauseous and like how much time you have, like before you literally are like, I can't hold this back anymore. Like I have to go, um, literally get it out, which I don't like talking about, (laughs) but yeah, that's what it sounds like, which is so interesting and interesting that you feel something similar in non-grief scenarios, um. Like I'm actually picturing your like five foot body like slowly like emerging <laughs> underwater and then you finally getting to a place where you're like, I can't, I can't. Uh, 4'11". 4'11", sorry. 4'11". 4'11". It's important to note under five. <laughs> under five. Well, you were probably wearing a heel for this wedding. Okay. Fair, fair, but fair. But yeah, 4'11", naturally, which still kills me. Um. I, how young were you the first time you think you felt this sensation? Ooh, I think I was probably like college or post-college, not in high school because I wasn't hearing these stories in high school as much. I had my support group, but that was different. Like it was so normalized with those people. It's more of when you are talking to a stranger and you have no idea that you're going to have this connection with a stranger. Um, that's when it it catches you off guard. And I think that that has to do with the emotional building as well, even though, and I think just my general anxiety too, because in those moments, like I know that something is going to be happening and it's not catching me off guard. And I still have anxiety building up and leading up to that moment. But um, yeah, it's just when it's unexpected and a stranger coming up to you and you're like, whoa, I was not expecting that. Okay. Two questions then. One, so like, for example, when you were doing your interviews to find podcast hosts and probably so many people had those stories because they weren't really unexpected, did you not have, like, was that more similar to like your high school group? It was, I was expecting like their story. I asked that, I asked everybody to share their grief story But I did know and prepared for how heavy it was going to be and felt that, like, without a doubt. I I wouldn't say that I was any less heavy without knowing that going into it. And there were some times where I maybe held back some tears and did it off of camera after my conversations with them. That's such an interesting question. But... But it was one of those moments where I was like, because I started it, I'm inviting you to tell me the story versus like somebody just approaching me and telling me a story out of a different conversation. No, that's fair. And I figured because you like knew and had context, like maybe it's different. And then so now with this like tidal wave reaction, because you know that that's a way you react when you start to hear, let's say, that story, how much is it like your true body's reaction and how much is your head starting to go like, oh shit, it's going to happen? Like it's that kind of like cycle of like the chicken or the egg. Like 
because you know it's going to happen? Like, have you almost like trained yourself? But again, it's unexpected. So maybe not, but like, you know how to identify it now. So you're almost like there's a meta like awareness as it's happening that you're stressed it's happening mentally and physiologically, you're also feeling it. I think I'm at this stage right now where I just understood what it is and that I, that this is a pattern. So right now it's just understanding that this even happens to me. In the future, I'll and I'll happily share if I'm able to calm myself down or be like, oh, I'm aware that this is happening or I'm able to like somehow get out of the conversation or step away quickly enough. But this was the first time where I finally felt super aware of it. So I think more to come on it. Um, But I will say that it's definitely very jarring and distracting from the conversation too, because then I'm like, I feel like I'm not even listening or I'm half listening because I'm also really distracted by what's happening in my body. Yeah, I'd imagine you are mentally distracted and you're like, oh shit, oh shit. But you're also like, oh my God, this woman is saying this like really powerful thing to me. And like, how do I respond and smile and nod and be supportive and say the right thing while also like handling what's going on to me? I mean, it just really shows all the behind the scenes work that is happening kind of in overdrive when you are grieving and you're going through a scenario that is more triggering. Like, it's so funny. Like, this is something that like, I wasn't, I would have never been able to guess in a million years when you said wedding. Of course, I instantly think, oh, it must be something with the father-daughter dance or like something with the dad. But you're almost like hyper aware and prepared for that at this point. Like you almost like you're like on alert for those types of moments because they're so obvious. But kind of like the Emmy moment in a weird way, it's the moments that you like really don't have that foresight. Like maybe you're at the rehearsal dinner, but like outside of the wedding, maybe you didn't fully know you were going to be interacting with this person or you didn't know the story in such detail. And then also hearing about it and seeing her in person and all of that. It just is truly, it's the unexpected. It's the thinking like, oh, I've gone to tons of weddings. The father-daughter dance is really hard, but I have this like way of handling it and I know what to do. But then it's like, boom, shit can still come out of nowhere. Like you would have never been able to like, Mm -hmm. quote unquote, plan for this in any way. So it's just like a reminder of how chaotic grief is. Yeah, completely agree. And just want to echo once again, like how happy I am for her. And she seems like such a sweet angel. Like, I'm just so happy that she was able to be there for that day too and how almost like I felt like she was so proud of herself and that was something that I don't feel like I see a lot with people that have survived cancer. Like it's almost like they went through it. Maybe they don't even want to acknowledge it or think about it anymore and for her, she was like so proud of it and that was such a beautiful thing to witness. So I just wanted to share that. And speaking of other triggering and emotional um, kind of things that have been happening over the last week, this is such a complete pivot, but The Golden Bachelor really took me on an emotional whirlwind in the first episode and all the trailers leading up into it. If you haven't watched, it's a 71, I think, year old man who is looking for his second shot at love after he was married to his high school sweetheart for over 40 years, which I cannot even imagine that type of loss. Um, And I just want to say that I 
feel like the intro episode, like the first couple of scenes almost remind me of like the beginning of Up. It is so emotional and it's like the picture of the wife on the mantle and they're playing a sad song and it's just like elderly man that is just by himself and I was like you couldn't make it more sad than this like this is crazy and he seems so sweet um and just makes it more pure overall but not sure if you had any sort of reactions I will say the song specifically every time like honestly puts tears in my eyes if I rewatch it No, literally the Golden Bachelor is such an amazing concept. It's been so cool to see how well it's done and the power of it just for the first time on like a mass level showing older elderly people, but who aren't, they don't, you hear elderly people and you think the stereotype of like, oh, they can't really move. They're slow. These people are all so vibrant, so beautiful, have lived so much life, so active, so healthy, And there's so much about it that I think is great. One, like I've even seen like a New York Times article written about how like senior homes were doing like watch parties for it, that they can like see themselves like through it. And just that like finding love isn't for people who are 25 only. And like if you don't find love at 25 or 30, like that's it. Like it is something that can happen and happen again, like throughout your life. And that like a profound, horrible loss, like a wife of... 40 years while horrible does not mean you don't like deserve additional forms of happiness. Like it was sweet that they included his acknowledgement of that. And I think he even said the words like no one can replace her. So it's like very clear that like, this is like a, you know, I want to have a partnership and a romance and find love again, but like no one will replace her. And like both things can be true. And the daughters the being involved and like showing the support and saying the same thing and like watching and hearing all the women's stories. Some of them have been widowed too, or some of them gone through divorce and like have different lanes. And it's just like, yeah, it was such a sad, the up analogy is really on point for the beginning, but then it's made like seeing, and I have only watched the first episode so far, but like those early connections feel that much, yeah, more pure and sweet and happy. And I just think it's a very healthy message to be on such a big stage. And I think it's going to be super interesting, like in the standard Bachelor franchise and episodes, we see contestants talk about like their family life or maybe kind of like their trauma story. And it'll just be, and I'm honestly preparing myself for how much heavier of trauma these people have had just because they've lived way more life. Like I'm a little scared actually of how intense it's going to be on such a national screen, even as somebody that publicly talks about grief, like I am just so curious how they're going to handle that. And I think they have so much more wisdom as well. Um, and some emotional intelligence that we may not have developed yet that I'm hoping it'll be almost like kind of like a role model or role models to witness in how they handle talking about these things. And they're just so mature too, which obviously makes sense, but it's just so crazy to witness, I think still. That is such a great point. I didn't even think about that yet, that you do see people go through sharing their trauma stories and that's how they bond and things come out on the dates. But like, 
Yeah, what a great way to yeah put that like emotional intelligence and the wisdom out for the world or the country to see and process. And like you said, just be such an example. Another thing I thought with the traditional bachelor is when they have their like hometown date, they usually go and see their parents. But for this, I'd imagine they go and see like their children if they have children or like maybe a sibling or people who have served like nieces and nephews and just like watching a different kind of hometown family dynamic of like, how these two people are going to fit into their lives and showing that after loss, like there's so much love you can still gain and have. And it's just like, what a cool concept and almost like social experiment and just already seeing how like there's clearly like an appetite for this because it's doing so well. And yes, they cast the lead with like such a sweet man who is doing such a great job. But it almost shows that like some of the standard reality TV with your typical younger people who are signing up because partially they want to be influencers and make money, like the ratings have dropped for a reason. Like people can see through that and don't feel as connected to that and aren't gaining something from that. But when you are seeing real human beings who like are actually there to find love and connection, like that is what people like to see and like to have that hope and beacon of hope. And my gosh, also from the first episode, the woman who was talking all about oh my her gosh. friend who was going through cancer. And then the end of the episode, it shows it was in her memory and she didn't get to watch it. My sister and I like looked at each other for a long time. We were like, no, like all these little things, like you said, I'm going to prepare that I feel like there's going to be people's stories and things that are harder because they've lived longer life that are going to come out. But I also think it's good for a big mass audience to kind of hear about that. Yeah, it's good to normalize it and so that people know that they can talk about these things. And I'm sure, I mean, I have to imagine that at that age, like your conversations of your life experiences will always have to include some sort of story like that, that it does become normal conversation. And so that's what I am kind of like, hopeful that it kind of puts that more normalization in the tone of when you're speaking about loss or trauma or grief um, that I don't feel like maybe younger folks have because we're so inexperienced with it at like quote unquote at the life stage that we're at we should be inexperienced with it um So I think that that's just like an interesting thing that I'm looking forward to. Um, And yeah, like thinking about – it's interesting. I can't imagine my parent – my mom or parents in general watching their child go on national television and dating all of these people. And I also really can't think about my mom going and on national television or grandparent and dating all of these people. So – It's a very interesting, like, I put myself in those shoes immediately when you were talking about the hometown dates, and I'm like, that must be so crazy. And then I think about all the parents that have been on the show that have probably felt the same way, and I didn't think about it at that time. Um, So just interesting to see, like, how the differences with an older Bachelor will play out versus, like, the standard franchise and episodes. No, completely. Like thinking about, yeah, as the kid responding to your 
you know, your parent dating 20 people at once, like it's already crazy for like the standard age range, but thinking about it on that perspective, like I'm sure that was an adjustment for those girls to those daughters to think through it and like having to trust that like this is going to be a great adventure for my dad and this is good for him and he's going to find someone and meet someone. But yeah, watching the episodes from that perspective would be fascinating, (laughs) especially like if you had your parent, like for their case, their mom was there around for 40 years. You have all of these like memories and experiences with them as a couple and the battle between, of course, like it's weird to see him with anyone else, but the like deepest desire for him to be happy and seeing how vibrant he is at 71, like you know, you pray to God, he has a lot of great life to live and you want him to enjoy and be happy in it. So I'm sure, you know, maybe he had to do a lot of press interviews, but I'd be curious to hear from his daughters and like that perspective. Yeah, definitely. And I think he even said something about like how he promised his daughters he wasn't going to kiss anybody on the first night. And then I think he ended up kissing like a couple of people, I'm pretty sure. And he did an interview saying, like, you'll see, like, what happens? I don't keep that promise or whatever. And so he probably is surprised by himself of, like, how this experience is going and was expecting to feel a certain way. And then he doesn't, which I just think is super interesting. But, yeah, I'm, I was curious in that episode of, like, so how did the daughters feel once they found out that he didn't keep that promise and ended up kissing like however many people he did? Um, which go Gary, you should do you. Um, go Gary. Yeah, rooting I, for you. <laughs> seriously rooting for you. I'm also curious as we see the different dates and those deeper discussions, what the discussions are going to be like with the f- divorcee ladies and what the conversations are going to be like with the widowed ladies, because of course, like the ladies who have also gone through a loss of their spouse are just going to be able to talk to Gary on such a different level just because they went through the exact same thing. And I'm obviously a divorce is a loss too, but it, it just is so different. So I would just be very curious to see if he almost bonds with the widows more because they've been through something so similar or if that ends up not really playing a role. Um, But that's something that I've thought about as well. I did want to share a, a, this is so random, but just thinking about that made me think of this story of how um, my friend who was a counselor with me at Camp Kesem, her, she lost her mom. And so her dad was a widow. And I don't know how this happened, but there was another mom in the community that I think lost her husband at the same time. Like they were around the same area and they like got connected with each other and ended up marrying each other and blending their families like years later. And it was such a beautiful thing. I remember that being like almost a very big first prime example of one seeing like a widower move on in obviously a healthy healthy and happy way and two like having being able to share like now she has siblings step siblings that share the same like type of grief with her that she can connect with and 
and the dad and her now stepmom like can share in their experiences as well. And obviously every experience is unique and it's not going to be exactly the same, but in general, like I just thought it was such a beautiful like pairing and kind of like story to hear at the end of the day that they were both connected. Um, like, and even in a really shitty way, like cancer, there was like love found through cancer and loss, which is so like weird to think about because there's so much sadness and anger with it. But like, it was just such a beautiful story. And so I think it's really cool when two widowers can come together. I think that's really beautiful. Wow, that is powerful. Like, uh, for you to know somebody who's gone through that directly and to be able to witness that and see the positive impact like on your friend and those families being blended. That is, yeah, really crazy. I mean, you think about Camp Kesem in general, I imagine just as an organization, just like bringing so many people together. And like you said, taking something that is so, can feel so isolating and so traumatizing and like using that to like bring people together. And I know you've made so many friends from it and this podcast even, like as horrible as what both of us went through, like you and I and Mads, we all wouldn't have met if it wasn't for what we all went through too. So The Golden Bachelor is like tying it back to that. Definitely a good example of you can go through tough things in life and there are so many chapters in life and it can feel like some chapters sting so much or it feels like impossible to think of being able to be in another chapter, but that there are so many more chapters if you're lucky in life that you get to live through and go through. Um, Yeah. But I guess with that, we can wrap things up. Um, Kath, I feel like when we've done episodes together, we've gone on some deep winding roads, but I kind of love it. Like just didn't know what to expect with what was going to come out. All we knew is we were going to talk about your wedding that you went to and the Golden Bachelor and the way that all of that came out is not what I would have expected in a million years. But that is us authentically talking and processing and everything. And with that, everyone who's listening please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts or send it to a friend or somebody else you know who's grieving who maybe it could help. Follow us on Instagram, write to us what episodes or topics you'd like to hear. And we appreciate you all so much. Bye.